Perception, Perception is reality. Reality. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this very special bonus episode of Perception is Reality. I am your host, Christopher Bilbury, and we are going to be talking with a dear friend of mine and a candidate running for the Indiana House District 33 seat. Brittany Clower is a Republican candidate. She currently lives with her husband, Brandon, in Portland, Jay County, Indiana. This is her second time running for the seat. She ran back during the pandemic year, 2020, against the same incumbent, J.D. Prescott. J.D. Prescott has been the representative of District 33 since... 2018 when I helped him take the seat, win the open seat, rather, uh, over a Democrat challenger as well, uh, Sean Byram. And uh, for most of you that have listened to the podcast for a long time, you're well familiar with that story. However, in the last several years, J.D. has been doing some very questionable things as representative and i have had many issues with him you guys are familiar with most of those and Brittany decided she wanted to take another shot at running she's doing a fantastic job she has a lot of momentum she has a lot of help and support behind her and in my opinion she's going to take this May primary election with absolutely no trouble. So I wanted to give her a chance to talk with all of you. And hopefully if you live in District 33, you will get some questions answered and you will decide that you can give her your support and give her your vote come whenever you vote, whether you vote early starting on April 5th 2022 in Indiana, or if you wait until the actual election day, which is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022 in the state of Indiana. Uh, I hope that you can give her your vote. And if you are still undecided at the end of this episode, I definitely hope that you have at least heard enough that you would feel comfortable to reach out to her and ask her other questions. She definitely is someone that likes to talk and will answer your questions. And she understands that, you know, politics is politics. People have a lot of different concerns and she's willing to talk with you, whether you want to private message her, whether you want to email her, whether you want to call or meet in person. Brittany is a very personal personable uh, individual and would love to do that. So I told her that we would have her on and we would listen to uh, her story, get her information out there in front of all of you amazing listeners. So we're going to pull her on in just a moment. Before we do that, as always, I'm going to ask that you share this show, share this bonus episode with everyone you know, because even if folks are, say, outside of the state of Indiana, if there's someone out there that's interested in running, they might get ideas on uh, how Brittany's doing it, and they might say, hey, this is for me. Or if you live elsewhere in the state of Indiana, you don't live in District 33, maybe you'll hear something that you would like to pass on to the candidates that you support. You might get ideas, or maybe if you're a candidate yourself, 
you might say, hey, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I ought to look at, you know, uh, doing things this way or, or who knows. So there's a lot of value here. I definitely hope that those of you that listen that are in the district will definitely consider what you're hearing. It's going to be a great time. And uh, so it's definitely an episode that folks need to hear. Of course, they can find us on all podcast players on all hosting sites all they have to do is search for us by name uh, we are uh, again always at the home link perception.fireside.fm that home link is perception.fireside.fm everything of course pops up there as always and you can subscribe to us so you never miss an episode on all of those different hosting sites as well as at the home link and then always of course you can just google us or google bilberry podcast we'll also pull up that way and then lastly don't forget to connect with us on facebook where i share these different links i also share a lot of other written content as well as the nightly sunday through thursday live at 9 35 live video commentary episodes so you won't want to miss that that's Christopher H. Bilbury on Facebook or facebook.com forward slash Bilbury 318. All right, folks, we need to take a real quick break so we can get that out of the way. And then when we get back, we will be joined on the phone by none other than Mrs. Brittany Bridges Cloer, the Republican candidate running for the District 33 state representative seat. She is going to be an amazing guest. You guys are going to have a great show to listen to. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to this very special bonus episode of Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, the May 3rd, 2022 primary election is quickly approaching us. And if you're looking to support and vote for a candidate that you can trust, a constitutionally conservative, common sense driven candidate, then you need to throw your support behind Brittany Bridges Cloer. That's right. Brittany Bridges Cloer is your candidate for the state house. She has my full endorsement. She's a friend of the podcast and I'm asking you to support and vote for Brittany Bridges Cloer for your next state representative of District 33. Authorized by the Brittany Cloer for Education and Agriculture Committee. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back and joining us on the phone is Miss Brittany Cloer. She is the Republican candidate that is running for the Indiana House of Representatives District 33 against her opponent, J.D. Prescott. Brittany, it's good to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So for the folks that are listening that might not be familiar with who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of background into who Brittany Bridges Clower is? Absolutely. Thank you. I'm Brittany Bridges Clower, and I'm running for the Indiana House Representatives District 33 seat. I currently live in Portland, Indiana with my amazing husband, Brandon Clower. He was raised in Delaware County and graduated at Muncie Southside, so go Rebels. 
We just celebrated our seventh anniversary on March 7th. Happy anniversary, husband. Now, for the record, he is extremely dreamy. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry for throwing you off there. Please continue. I was raised in Henry County. I was the fifth generation to live on my family's Hoosier homestead farm. While in high school, I furthered my love for agriculture through FFA and agriculture classes. And one of the organization's principles is living to serve. So I found that my true passion was through service, and I wanted to incorporate that into my career path. Um, so when I went to Purdue University, in, uh, I went in ag education. I minored in horticulture. I graduated in, in 2008, right in the heart of the Great Recession, as we all recall. So yeah. I'm starting to have some flashbacks right now with these <laughs> gas prices. I was definitely fortunate enough to find a job placement close to home right here in Jay County, Indiana. I was hired as the third ag teacher and FFA advisor. And let me tell you, teaching is not easy, especially in a stressful economy. So in my first year, I wasn't sure if I was cut out for teaching. I had a former student. He's currently teaching right now agriculture in Randolph County. And he he asked me to at least stay one more year, give it another shot, because he had four different ag teachers during his high school career. Wow. So yeah, the turnover rate is just unbelievable. Year two is going a lot better. Um, unfortunately, I was a victim of a texting car accident. Somebody rear-ended me, and unfortunately, I was injured through that. So I had to go to physical therapy weekly. Uh, which if anybody's ever been injured knows that it can take a lot out of you, uh, just mentally and it's stressful and it's painful. So one day I got out of physical therapy and it snowed about two inches and it was the first snow of the year. So um, I was not prepared for it. I actually couldn't even afford TV at the time. So I didn't even know it was supposed to snow. So I didn't have my ice scraper in the car. And uh, I got in the car and I, I turned on the heat and I just sat there. I was, I was in a grumpy mood thinking that I just wanted to go home. It's like, this isn't for me. I'm not cut out for that. So I started searching my vehicle to look for something to, uh, to scrape the snow off. And I had nothing. So I finally found a CD case. Um, I hope that's not dating me too much, uh, but that's, that's what I had. Um, so I sat there for a few minutes to kind of warm up. And then all of a sudden, a man dressed from head to toe in Carhartt, he just started brushing my windows off. Um, and he said, stay in there, honey, get warm. And so I, I thank my snow angel. And uh, it was in that moment I knew I was home. So I knew Jay County was my home. I knew Portland, Indiana was my home. I knew this is where I wanted to have my family. So it was that small act of kindness that was a pivotal moment in my life, both my, my former student talking to me and, and my, my snow angel saving me through, <laughs> through some difficult times. So I'm, I'm super glad they were both there for me when I needed it. And um, I ended up staying at Jay County for 12 years. So wow. first two years were rough, but 12 years teaching, it was amazing. I got to serve as the uh, FFA advisor. We had so many great successes as our program um, we grew to actually one of the largest chapters in the state. Um, and I believe for two of those years, we were the largest. And we actually grew it from a three-teacher to a four-teacher program, which is just amazing in itself. We were named top 10 chapter in the state for most of those years. And I'm really glad I stuck it out because I was nominated by my fellow ag teachers as the outstanding agriculture educator of the year for the state. And um, that sent me on to compete at the national level. And, and in 2019, I was named 
National Outstanding Agriculture Educator of the Year. So I'm really glad, even though I was doubting myself at the beginning, that um, these two two people and and many other people on my path have just been so inspirational and and helpful in that. And we've had so many community supporters, uh, businesses that have helped grow that program to the absolutely amazing program it is now. That's fantastic. And but now before we get into the heavy political stuff, I would like to ask you because I know that being a teacher is a calling it's very similar to being a doctor or a police officer it's something that you know you're not getting paid a tremendous amount of money for but you're doing it because you have this calling and a lot of people have maybe different interpretations of what it's like because you hear people all the time saying oh they only work a few hours of the day and they're off on the weekends they're off by three o'clock every day they have two weeks off in the spring and two weeks off in the winter they're off all summer long this has got to be a wonderful job they're basically doing the same thing from year to year to year so it's not really hard and that's the farthest thing from the truth in reality and i know that figuratively speaking teachers kind of get the short end of the stick and can get beat up in different conversations and i know that it can kind of be a thankless job so i like to ask when i have a conversation with a teacher with all of that and all of the hardships that you are faced with and all of the craziness that goes on with it what is something in your opinion that is one of the best things about being a teacher being an educator one best thing about being a teacher and i know the teachers that are listening is when there are students that come to you and say they want to follow in your path and want to do exactly what you did and i'm pleased to say that i currently have three former students that are teaching uh, agriculture one in randolph county one in blackford county and one at jay county And I also have a few mentees that are still teaching. Um, I I keep telling them to hang in there. I'm like, give it three years, give it three years. uh, Because by the time you get to that third year, that's when you really have it figured out. Sure. So if we can keep those teachers going, um, we we can definitely have some stronger programs that way. Absolutely. Now, you've went a little bit above and beyond as well because you've actually went back to school, am I correct? And you got your bachelor's, and that has allowed you to do some work in like school administration as well? I went back to Purdue and received my master's in school leadership in 2013, and I got to serve a 10-month intern for a principal at a local elementary. And coming from the high school level, it is interesting going down to the elementary level. You definitely treat them completely different. Um, if, if there's any elementary teachers that are listening, thank you for all that you do. I never knew that we had to teach students how to line up at the door. I thought they just <laughs> magically knew that. Thank you for what you do. And it is uh, definitely amazing and difficult work. Uh, that was definitely an interesting experience that uh, helped me realize maybe I didn't want to serve as a school principal. Uh, <laughs> or at least at an elementary. Or at least at an elementary. So, um, so all the principals that work at elementaries, uh, I definitely can, can feel for you on that one. 
I am definitely reading you loud and clear there. So besides all of this, you've also done some work in non-for-profit organizations as well, right? Tell us about that. I served as an agriculture education advocate for legislation. And um, this is where I get to speak to national and state lawmakers about the needs of our students. Mm. So that has been um, my true passion. That's been going on for about seven years. I get to travel out to Washington, D.C. once a year and... And I just got back. Our visits were very productive. We were able to meet with several of the legislative assistants and a couple of the legislators to advocate what we need in the classroom to help prepare our next workforce. Very good. And that's all dealing with something that you're very passionate about career and technical education, correct? Career and technical education is my passion. It's something I enjoy. And when I found that out, I was offered a scholarship for leadership development. And I returned to Purdue University again and studied career and technical education leadership. And I received my CT director's license. Awesome. That's amazing. And it sounds like your career has really been on track and everything has been going well. But I know that you did hit a little bit bit of a snag due to some budgeting issues. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Even though we grew one of the top chapters in the state um, and we had one of the biggest chapters in the state, we can't outrun budget cuts. Sure. So we had budget cuts in the corporation. We had to move the junior high to the high school. I'm glad that our uh, junior high students can get some more career and technical education experiences. They can now access those teachers. So I'm excited for that. But unfortunately, uh, we did lose an ag teacher in the department due to those budget cuts, um, as well as 15 other teachers. So there was quite a few teachers that were cut in our our school's district. Um, So it was a little devastating. Um, So I decided to take uh, another position so I could stay within the area. And I now serve as a career and technical education director. And I oversee five different counties, um, nine different schools when it comes to their career and technical education programs. And I get to help through grant writing and community outreach and getting equipment for those programs when they need it. And that has been just exciting to be able to learn more about all the other programs. And you really don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. Um, So I have been blessed that I have made so many connections throughout the communities, uh, through FFA and through my other roles as an advocate um, to be able to help these programs. So um, if you're not familiar with career and technical education, I would love to talk to anybody about it at any time. Just feel free to reach out. But uh, a little summary, career and technical education provides the skills students need to be college or career ready. And that's going to help feed into our state's workforce because we are definitely desperate for workers in every industry. Oh, that's absolutely true. It's it's definitely something that's affecting Everybody, every aspect of life right now is currently being plagued with uh, a loss of workers, and we need people to join the workforce in every every aspect of life, and teachers are even one of those things, so I definitely understand that, and I know that you're so passionate about this stuff, and I want to pause here just for a second. I would not generally do this. Listen, we've been talking here for just a little bit, and and we've not even scratched the surface of what we're going to get into, but I want you, the listener, right now to understand this. Brittany and I are friends. 
I've known her and her husband now, not for too long. We've known each other for a couple months now. Uh, we've talked on the phone back since like October, I believe. And I've really got to know you guys since around December, January, um, when we were really becoming good friends. And I know Brittany's passion. I know her passion as a candidate. I know her passion as a friend. I know her passion as a teacher, as an educator. And I know this. I've also witnessed Brittany doing random candidate meet and greets and informational events where she's talking about herself. And she generally gets, you know, what, two minutes to introduce herself and then one or two or three minutes per question. And they're the general questions that candidates are always asked. And that stuff is important. But I really wanted to let the audience know who Brittany the person was because that's who you're voting for. So frequently, the, the voters don't get an adequate picture of what their candidates are like, and so few candidates will take the opportunity to delve into their lives because... Well, they don't want to because there are things they want to hide or they want to sell you on their their talking points or whatnot. And I just want to say for a second because um, I, it's important, okay, that people know the passion that your husband knows about you. Uh, he and I were talking after an event a while back and we were like, man, we just wish that people could get to know Brittany the way that we know because the passion that you talk about education and the things that you're involved with, I know will absolutely transfer over to your role as a legislator. I know that when you win this seat and when you're the District 33 state representative, I know that your citizens, whether they voted for you or they didn't vote for you, whether they're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party or Independent, or whether they don't vote, and somebody just bumps into you and starts talking to you, or someone out of the blue, someone comes up and says, hey, all of a sudden I've become interested in this, and I have this issue, and I want to express this to you. I know that you will face those situations with this same passion and vigor, and and I, I that's what I absolutely love about your campaign because I know that you're genuine. There have been other candidates that I've really stepped up for and, and been on the bandwagon with, but even those people... I have met as candidates, and I've been—I've only been able to see their candidate facade. I haven't got to know those people as human beings. In this situation, I've gotten to know you, and I'm happy to call you a friend. And win, lose, or draw, I'll call you a friend. Although I know that you're going to win, uh, so that's not even an issue. 
But we're going to be friends long after this interview, long after this election, and, uh, you know, whatever goes on there. But I'm just happy that the folks that are going to be listening to this are getting to hear what makes you, you. And folks, I want to say, like I said, we've not even scratched the surface. We have a lot more to get into and a lot more political aspects of her life. But it's important for you to know about the people that you support, about the people that you vote for, and you should know if your candidates that you support, whether it be for mayor or city council, county commissioner, governor, president, are people that can and will be passionate about aspects that they're going to be involved with. Some of those things you'll be passionate about. Some of those things you might not be passionate about. But it's nice to know, like, while in my life I can say education hasn't been something that I've really ever been crazy passionate about because I leave that to someone who knows more about it, I like knowing that Brittany is passionate about it because... She's there to handle the situation, and when I come to her with an issue that I might have, I know that she's capable of having that passion, and that I know she can transfer that passion over to this other issue that I bring before her. So, folks, we have a lot more to get into. If you're listening to this so far and you're like, wait a minute, that's just been about her role as a teacher or whatnot, that's important to me because it lets you, the listener, hear about her passion. And so I'm I'm so thrilled that you've went into that and through your husband and I's coke coaxing, we were able to kind of get you to expound on who you are, and I think that's very important. So that's, that's I'm, I'm happy that you've done that, Brittany. I appreciate that. Thank you. So yeah, I hadn't planned on saying what I just said, but as we were going through this last little bit, it just kept playing on my mind that I needed to say that. All right, so let's get into a little bit of the politics of all of this. And just starting right off the bat, I want to ask you kind of a controversial question, if I might, just so we can get it out of the way. You are a conservative Republican who also happens to be a teacher. Now, a lot of times people look at the teachers' unions and various political aspects of the whole education system and they say well that's liberal or or leaning liberal and now that's not always true but that's kind of what people have been saying lately and there's been some pushback and there's various aspects of this that can kind of get a little tricky and a little muddy how do you navigate both of your worlds being an educator and being a conservative Republican, how do you deal with that? So it is kind of interesting being a Republican and an educator. I definitely support our our schools in District 33. We have several school districts and we have one private school. So as I make decisions, um, they are based on what our community has and needs. Um, so when there is bills that are being passed to go towards school choice, um, vouchers increase for private schools, 
we just don't really have those in District 33. So each time that our current representative votes in favor of those, it's just sending money outside of our district. So as a representative, I think it's important to focus on the people that you do have in your community and representing those people. So I do believe in uh, school choice to a point. I also believe in separation of church and state. So with school choice, I was actually in favor of open borders for school districts. Um, I feel like if you feel like your child can't succeed in the school district that they are uh, within due to the boundaries, uh, that they should be more than welcome to send their child to a different school. So maybe a smaller school setting or um, some areas do like the, the bigger schools that are consolidated for the county because uh, you get to pull resources then. Uh, so that is my stance on that. Very good. I know I'm going to ask you a question that in my opinion shouldn't be a trick question. However, it's always amazing when I ask this of candidates, I see like a look of panic in their eyes or you always hear a trembling in their voice. So we'll, we'll see how you do with this. If elected, when elected to the state house, and you are now the District 33 state representative, what will your day-to-day -day job and activities entail? What will your duties be as the District 33 state representative? My day-to-day -day job would be representing the community members of District 33. Right now, I don't really feel that our voices are being heard at the state house, um, that our current representatives really kind of voting on those party lines, voting um, in favor of some policy that might not actually benefit our district. Um, so I'd really want to bring a voice back to District 33. And I think the best way to do that is to actually reach out to the community members. Absolutely it is. And you're going to be positive and you're going to talk about what you can do and what you want to do when elected. But I can tell you, right now, the person who's in the seat, J.D. Prescott, that's supposed to be the representative of District 33, doesn't do that. He's not concerned with what's important to the citizens of District 33. He's concerned with what can keep him in power and what can help get him to the next level. That's all that matters. So when the supermajority... When the bosses, when the people that are in charge, the people that are pulling the strings tell him, J.D., you need to do this, you need to support this, you need to jump this high, he's ready to do it. And he's not interested in hearing from citizens. He's not interested in talking to the people in his district to find out what they need, what they want, and what he should be doing because he's just not concerned about representing those folks the way that you will be. And hell, you can tell that because... There's just no communication, no transparency. He doesn't like to hold town halls. Hell, he's been in this office now since 2018, and he's only had, what, two or three maybe actual full public town hall meetings that are posted and people know about in all of those years since 2018, 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, it's 22 now. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He's had the one town hall meeting just this year since January, and that's only because there was such pushback on Bill 1134. We'll talk about that in a bit. But 
that coupled with the fact that he needed to kind of campaign a little bit because he is running for re-election, but he doesn't have town halls. And that's part of the problem. If he's not willing to listen or to talk, if he's not willing to communicate, there's no way he can actually represent the people from that district. I mean, just point blank, if there were more town hall meetings then the citizens would feel like they were being heard and the representative from that district would be able to communicate what's going on, communicate what they were doing, and would be able to get their understanding of what their constituents and what the citizens from their district are really going on about. That's the big thing here. And I know that's something that you would do, but JD just doesn't do it. When you're elected to this office, will you hold town halls differently than what the current representative is doing? When I'm elected, I've been having monthly town hall meetings or office hours where community members would be able to come and speak freely to me about their opinions, their concerns they may have, and how I can actually truly help the communities of District 33. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic because everybody that listens to this program and you yourself know that I'm all in favor of better and more communication, better and more transparency, and better and more accountability. And I feel like what you're talking about helps to bolster all of those. What you're talking about there is going to help create a sense of improved communication between the elected official and the citizens, more transparency between all involved, and more accountability. And I think that sounds absolutely fantastic. As far as any other priorities or important issues that you have or feel like would be important for the district, once elected, do you have a list of those priorities or things that you will be working on? I have five main priorities that I would like to convey during this campaign, and that is to respect all of the Constitution and uh, represent our community members, make sure that we are actually representing them as a public servant and not ruling over the community that they represent. Um, I'd also like to reduce government overreach, support our armed forces, support our veterans, support our police officers. My grandparents retired from the Newcastle police force in the the 90s, so I'm excited to be a part of that legacy and uh, support all of our police officers and public servants. And I'd also like to reduce taxes and spending. Right now we do have a surplus and we're excited to see that our legislators are getting some of that money back to our pockets, but I do see quite a bit of wasteful spending that is still happening at the state house. Those sound like fantastic ideas and points of interest that would be great for you and many others to work on. And while some might say, well, those are things that a lot of candidates say, I, I definitely hear that, specifically if you're a conservative candidate, but those are all things that really right now aren't being taken care of, definitely by the current representative of District 33, so it would be nice to have somebody in there that would be, because keep in mind, folks, we're not talking about there being a Democrat that's currently there doing a whole bunch of craziness that we're trying to get a Republican to bring it back to the center, bring it back to the right side a little bit. We are running, Brittany is a Republican, 
against another Republican. So the, the this race is going to be decided in the primary, and it comes down to Brittany being a true constitutional conservative over whatever kind of Republican J.D. Prescott is. He says that he's a constitutional conservative. Sometimes he says he's a Christian constitutional conservative Republican. But what he does, what he says, and his actions do not show that. So it's nice to hear these kind of things from someone who's actually running. And I, I can't wait to see what you will, what you'll do with these things. Okay, so moving on. I'm not really sure if you, the listeners, know or not, but we're currently out of the session for this 2022 year. The session ended back on March 8th. This was a short session. The Indiana General Assembly is set up to run in two-year cycles. So there's a long session and then a short session. The long session was last year, 2021. That makes this year the short session. And the thinking behind that is they're supposed to be able to get their work done during the short session so they can get back to their districts, the state senators and state representatives, and campaign so they can all win and be sent back down to the state house. Of course, we're hoping that there's going to be a lot of losses this election, definitely in District 33. So, the session is over, and my question to you, Brittany, is, as a citizen who pays attention to this kind of stuff, not everybody does, but as a citizen who pays attention to what goes on at the State House, and as a candidate who's, of course, running in this election, what do you think about what the Indiana General Assembly did with their time <laughs> this session? Like, what's your take away on how the session ended and what all was done while these men and women were at work, specifically in the House, because you're running for the State House. What's your thoughts? Well, as you said, it was a short session, so it definitely felt rushed. Yes. Um, I felt like they were pushing things through. Things weren't really thought out for some of them. Um, I think they were focusing on on some of the bills. I think there was over 800 bills put forward wow. um, in this short session. And I mean, we're an established state at this point. Um, a lot of these bills were were repeats. I'm I'm not sure if the legislators were really talking to one another. Um, they were putting a whole bunch of stuff into certain bills when when they had the opportunity to to break them out into smaller two, three, four page bills. Um, that way, each each section can be discussed and and clearly thought out before we push that into into law. Well, and it's it's really it's crazy because it's it's like they think that nobody out here knows what they're doing, and it's it's really really irritating because it's like yeah, hello, we see what you're doing, we know what you're up to, we understand what's going on here. And it's, it's really frustrating, and that's why there are so many of these folks that are seeing challenges this primary. It's ridiculous. One of the big things that was hot this year, and it's been hot the last several election years, it's actually been hot for the last several years, but definitely during the election years, 
was is the constitutional carry. Of course, constitutional carry uh, has passed. It's made its way through, and the governor signed off on it. So in the state of Indiana, we now have constitutional carry. And for the record, I want to say we're both in favor of constitutional carry. I'm a gun guy. I'm a big Second Amendment supporter. I know that you're a big 2A supporter, and it's great that constitutional carry is now a thing in the state of Indiana, even though they did it in some chicken shit maneuver instead of putting the bill through and letting the bill pass on its own merits and then be sent to the governor's desk to be signed off on by a governor that was actually what he said he was rather than something else. What really happened in this situation was it was put forward by the House, it passed, and then the Senate completely gutted it, and then it got put through on the last day in some other bill that had nothing to do with the Second Amendment, guns, or anything like that, and they were hostage. If they wanted to have one part of the bill passed, they had to have the second part, and so they passed it. Yay, constitutional carries here in a chicken shit way, and they didn't know if the governor was going to sign it or not, but the governor did sign it. So we do have it, and we're both happy about that. But I'm not particularly happy on the way that it happened. Constitutional carry has been put forward in various bills the last several years, and every time it's died because even though we have the supermajority of a Republican House, a Republican Senate with a Republican governor, and the governor's not actually a conservative, and then out of 71 Republicans in the House, only two of them, Nisley in District 22 and Jacob in in District 93 are actual conservatives. And then out of the 50 senators, hell, I think we have 39 Republicans, and I'm not sure of, of one of them that's conservative. So we're, we're like up a creek without a paddle. We have a supermajority of Republicans, but there's only two conservatives in the whole group. I mean, come on. This is why we have these problems that we keep running in into and it just so happened this time they were between a rock and a hard place because the public has had it up to here with this crap and if they didn't actually do something with the constitutional carry i feel like they were going to see a whole lot of losses in the primary and i'll be honest i think it might be too little too late and i think that there are some republicans that are in serious trouble in this election and they should be because how they've been doing things and how how it happened this go around is not how it's supposed to happen. Bills should be put forward and then they should pass or fail and become law or not based on the merits of the bill and then who is in office, I guess. Not gutted and jammed into some other kind of non-related bill and passed through the back door on the last day and 
done in that chicken shit kind of move. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm a supporter of the constitutional carry. I'm a constitutional conservative. Um, so that's that's one of our, our rights that, that we are welcome to. But the way that they did this, I completely disagree with. It passed the House. It didn't get heard at the Senate. Bills were back over to the House so they could um, amend those for the last time before they're sent to the governor's desk. And the language was stripped out and added into House Bill 1296. And that was originally a medical claims bill. That's absolutely ridiculous. So they just push this forward. And, and I know it's because it is it is a it's a campaign year. There are a lot of these Republicans that they are being challenged yes. at the primary level because they are just not doing right. what is good for their communities. They're not doing what they <laughs> said they were going to yeah. do. They keep running on these campaign promises year after year. And um, we're a super majority for the Republicans in the state of Indiana. Like there should be no continued campaign issues. You should say, this is what I plan on doing this year. And then it gets done. And then the <laughs> next year you, you choose other items that you want to address. Um, so to year after year use the same campaign promises is is not something we should be doing as a, a super majority. So it's definitely frustrating as an advocate um, as we as we look at these bills when they take dead bills and add that language back in and bring it back to life. So I've served as an advocate for the past seven years. There's times that I've had to call offices when I see the bill's dead and I call them and I say, what bill did you drop it into? And, you know, they will talk to me and they'll be like, are you a lawyer? What organization do you represent? I represent non-for-profit organizations. So we technically do not have lobbyists. We have advocates. We are not paid. We don't receive a stipend. So we are just doing it out of our own free will. So when I call these offices, I'm a citizen of the state of Indiana. Like, I don't have to answer those questions sure. because I do understand what's going on in this legislation. I do understand the proposals that you're putting forward and trying to go ahead and put it into law after your, your constituents, the citizens of your community have called and said, we don't want this. And you still push it through. And and what does that do for your community and organizations that you should be representing? Um, and, and we see that when we start to line up the donors that are donating to these campaigns and then looking at the bills that they are putting forward. Yeah. So it's a campaign promise they're making to their donors. Well, speaking about that, you know, it almost starts to feel like the the elected officials, the state representatives and senators are not actually doing what's in the best interest of those of us in their district, those of us in the state. They're doing what's best for themselves, best for their big donors and the big political action committees. And it feels like that they are voting and putting forth bills and fighting for things that are better for big business or their big donors or folks on a national level rather than citizens right in their own backyards in the districts in which they are elected to represent. So to you, I say the following. As an elected official, as a state representative, I have a strong belief 
that you will listen to the people from the district and you will do what's best for the citizens of your district first and foremost and then for all other Hoosiers after that ahead of big business or political action committees or national politics or parties or anything like that. And so being a candidate and being the kind of person that you are, I know that you're talking to people now and you're hearing things. What are those issues and what are other things that you are hearing or seeing from citizens in and around your district? Most of the things that I'm seeing or hearing from the community members of District 33 is to actually be heard from. So they do not see their current representative uh, anywhere. It seems that he's only really meeting with people that have donated to his campaign, maybe close to the family businesses. So that has been the overall arching concern that I have heard from the community members. I do get a lot of questions on education because uh, that is my background and expertise. That's where 50% of our budget goes to for the state of Indiana. And then in 2019 and 2020, one in six bills that were proposed impacted education somehow. So there is quite a bit of ties uh, for our state house into education. So one of the examples of how the community members are not being heard was from legislation that our current representative was co-author on, and that was last year's House Bill 1005. So that was actually dropped into House Bill 1001. It wasn't actually dead. So with House Bill 1005 dropped into 1001, um, we had all of the superintendents in Randolph County actually came together and held a press conference, pretty much begging our representative not to support this bill. Um, and that it was going to hurt the schools and send money out of the district. So I hope that it'll never get to the point where my community members feel like they have to hold a press conference to hear hear me uh, or for me to hear them. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm speechless. I just I don't know what to say. You've brought up two points here in your last answer that kind of lend itself to to where I want to go in the next couple of questions. But uh, yeah, I agree with you that um, you know. Prescott is just not somebody that likes likes to talk in public. He's not somebody that holds a lot of town hall meetings. He's not somebody that likes to be on the record much. He he says email me, but yet I have plenty of examples of folks, including myself, that have sent emails, and I know uh, you and your husband have done the same, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but there are plenty of people who have emailed him, and just no responses come from that, and so he doesn't like to write things down. He doesn't want to be interviewed or talked to talk uh, talk about anything in front of the cameras or media uh, or anything like that. He wants to control the crowds that he's around. He likes to have the crowds and have the people that he talked to be people that he invites places 
that are generally private property like his family farm or, um, say, a location that's a friend of his that gives him the area and then he can invite donors out that pay big money to be there and listen to him, pat him on the back, and he has, you know, his sycophants come out, his parents and, and others that tell him how special he is and what a great job he's doing and then everybody goes away and he has big stacks and stacks of money that he can count and it's on to to uh the next you know JD adventure but it's not anything in which he's actually talking to constituents about what's going on what he's doing he's not giving transparency about anything he's not being held accountable and there's no back and forth communication about what the citizens need what he's doing why he's doing what he's doing or why he's not doing what he's not doing and that's just not a way to be a public servant uh just a few weeks ago on the 19th of february he held one of only a handful of actual public town halls. Now, this thing was not very well publicized. It wasn't in any major newspapers. It was in a small Winchester, the Winchester News Gazette newspaper, like maybe once or twice. I tried publicizing it as well as I could, and I know other people did, but he didn't do anything to try to publicize it, and he didn't want anyone to film or video. Now, of course, that didn't happen because it was in a public place, and as everyone knows, I videoed and, and audio recorded the event, and I actually put out a bonus episode a couple episodes back of the full audio recording and I will link that in the description for folks to hear so you can hear that entire town hall. It was a disaster. And you were there. Your husband was there. Uh, my producers, Kate and Niles, were there. And so was a lot of other people. It was packed. There were a lot of teachers there. They had a lot of questions for him. And uh, he just wasn't ready for the pressure. Uh, first and foremost, the very first thing that happened was a teacher of his from middle school or high school was there. And she brought up a comment about when he was in school, his mother had a conversation with her about the percentage of children whose parents are involved in their school career. And she said something to the effect of his mother said it was around 30% and she was agreeing. And that, of course, is what made JD blow up and he stormed out. I think he was just looking for a fight and looking to do that. And when he heard that teacher, who was a friend of his, and someone who, who liked him, but she was there and she was disappointed in how he was behaving and what he was doing with uh, the dreaded House Bill 1134. And she was there to tell him that much, but she wasn't saying anything negative. And when she said, uh, your mother, he stormed out of there. And of course, he had the gun on his side and all of that craziness. But it just goes to show JD does not 
communicate very well. He blows up, and he he's just he he's he's crazy with this. Now he did come back in, and then he had a pretty explosive back and forth with teachers and people from the audience. And there were teachers there, and I would say a couple of them probably were Democrats or liberal, but the majority of them were conservatives, were Republicans, were people that he knew, people that I know, people that you know, and they were like, what's going on? And there was such pushback on this Bill 1134 that was the real big controversial bill, it seems like, this year that he was the co-author on, and this is the big CRT bill that dealt with what was being taught in schools and child pornography, and I know that this is a big hot-button issue around the country, but let's just be honest for a second. This isn't going on in District 33. This might be going on someplace, and if there are issues where kids are being taught inappropriate things and there is pornographic images and discussions happening in schools, that needs to be stopped. But since it's not going on in District 33, I don't understand why J.D. attached himself to this and made this great big stink over this bill, and he seems so obsessed with this, and the teachers just wanted to have a conversation with him, and it was like he didn't want to talk to anybody anywhere, but he did have this town hall, and it was all kinds of crazy because he was just so flip and so out of touch, and it just goes to show what a horrible communicator that J.D. actually is. So, I guess the bill is dead. The bill didn't go anywhere, but J.D. vowed that he would be bringing it back, and that if it didn't go this session and he was re-elected, he would bring it back, and he would keep bringing it back until it passed. And so that's just one reason why we need to make sure that he's not re-elected, and we need to send you to the State House as the representative for District 33, because I think that you will do what is right in that situation. If there is something harmful out there for the children, I think you will act. If it's A-OK and things are moving along like they should, I think you will act accordingly. I don't think that you will just blow something up just because or for some personal gain like I think he was doing. What are your thoughts on this dead bill? Because even though it's dead, I don't think we have heard the last of it. What are your thoughts? So as a conservative and also serving as a teacher, um, I'm uniquely qualified to understand how this legislation directly impacts our schools and students. So when JD first took over, I emailed him. I congratulated him. I said, hey, I am an advocate in these two areas. I would love to work with you. I'd love to give you information that would help you. I never heard back from him. So I was really confused by that. I mean, I I go to DC every year and, and meet with those legislators up there and was just kind of confused why this very new, very young, I think he was 26 at the time he took over the position, um, person didn't didn't want to hear from some of us who have been in the, the trenches when it comes to, to what's going on in the classroom. So um, obviously I've talked to a lot of teachers in our district about this and um, I haven't talked to a single one that wants to teach CRT. Uh, so they should have written a, a clean CRT bill if they felt that was a concern. 
Um, I have not seen it taught in our, our district. I have not heard it being taught at any of our schools in this area. So I'm just, I'm confused why our representative has decided to pour a majority of his time in that. So he did say at one of his private town hall meetings, I've spent a lot of time on this bill. Um, as a co-author, I'm not sure why um, <laughs> he is spending so much time to champion this bill. Um, other than the fact that he is pandering to a certain organization or something, I'm I'm really not sure. I, I hope he does clarify that. Um, the issues are with how the bill was written. Uh, so it put a lot of burden on the teachers, and I just don't think he understands that. So um, I did attend that town hall meeting, and I listened to those concerns and questions from the educators in the room. They were all very kind, very sweet-toned. You could tell many of them had their elementary teacher voices on. Yes. Um, and... They are just people you want to be around. They are the people that we want around our kids. And um, we want them to help them grow and and enjoy enjoy going to school. So we want to make sure our kids are passionate about learning. And we have to have those passionate teachers. And it was clear that room was full of passionate teachers. Yeah. So not a single one of them were like, we want to teach CRT. I didn't hear that. Did you hear that at all? I, I did not. No, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't hear that. I, di I did not hear anybody there that was peddling pornography or that seemed like that was something that they wanted to do. I, I, I was lost on all of that. Matter of fact, he had brought with him, or, or someone had brought to the town hall, a couple of examples of what they considered to be pornographic material in schools. And it was like basic science things that were age appropriate for the classes it was in. It was like how flowers reproduce and how frogs reproduce, you know, common sense uh, things that, you know, everybody learns in school at the appropriate times. And it's in no way gross or any way inappropriate and it was just really laughable honestly that we have these grown adults talking about this stuff in a way that they were calling it pornographic i just i really didn't understand it now i have heard of the examples of some material that have been found in other schools way 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 far away from indiana definitely not in district 33 and again if there's something that is harmful or not appropriate by all means, sound the alarms, bring in the troops, swear in the posse, and let's get the pitchforks and torches, and let's go figure this out. But seriously, when we're talking about the sexual reproductive cycle of a frog and how flowers are created and where a baby is actually at in the woman's body, I just honestly don't think that we can call that pornography, or at least uh, someone is doing some really crazy stuff with some very benign material. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. Somebody's a freak someplace. I don't know if it's him, me, or, or them, but somebody is doing something a little wonky uh, somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I have I'll, no uh, words for yeah, it. <laughs> you, you can safely remain silent there, and we'll leave that at my commentary. But it it's just like, come on. You know, I, I've said it before, but we were 
at this town hall meeting, which is like his only real public town hall meeting that he's had, and it was in his area, his hometown. Uh, it's in Winchester, in a real small farming area, conservative. I know there were probably some Democrats there, or liberals there, maybe a little progressive, but I would say 95, 96, 97% of the room was conservative. It's supposed to be the same side that JD is on, but it seemed like there was such a disconnect between what we were saying, meaning the most of us that were in the room that were conservatives, and anyone else, the very few of them, but moreover, JD. It was such a disconnect between what we were saying and what JD was saying, and it was like he didn't understand or didn't care, and it was so strange. And at one point, you know, I asked him, and you can hear this if you listen on the town hall recording, and again, the link will be in the description of this episode, and Brittany, I, knew, I know that you heard this. I asked him, okay, you don't have to tell us where these people are, who they are. We're not asking for their names and addresses. I just simply want to know how many people, specifically in your district, want this? How many people have asked for this? How many people have you heard from? And he just was like, uh, real flip, like, a, a few, you know, just a few. And I'm like, no, 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 no. A a a later on, I actually tried nailing him down, and I was like, look, I mean, you see how many people's here in this room. Have you heard from 10 people that are in favor of this? Have you heard from 50 people, 500 people, 5,000? And it was like, just kind of give us... A guesstimate, brother. I mean, you know if you've talked to the people or not, and that's when I knew this was a farce because it wasn't something that people have come to him and the others about. This is something that was pushed on them by someone higher up in the food chain than JD or the other representatives. And that's why JD and the others are so keen on getting this pushed through and why he's even said, like, since it didn't pass, I'm going to bring it back because he needs to keep happy those higher up the food chain people, especially because he has future aspirations. And so finally, I just pushed him and said, hey, you're going to have to tell us, is it a larger group than we have here now, or is it a smaller group? And I don't know exactly how he worded it, but whatever he eventually said was like, well, it's smaller than this group here. And, <laughs> you know, it was, for, for me, that's when it was like, this is not about District 33. It's not about the citizens of District 33. It's never been about any of the citizens of District 33. Nothing that you've ever done, JD, has ever been about your district, ever. It's always been about keeping you in power and getting you further down the field to better secure 
where you are now and where you're going in the future. It's always been about you climbing the ladder. And you know, a lot of people will remember that I helped him when he first ran in 2018, I was helping him, but I had to. You know, I've told the story a hundred times, but I just always want people to know. The choice was Sean Byram, the Democrat mayor of Winchester, Indiana, and he had been a horrible mayor and he was running for state representative and he was the Democrat's golden boy and he was going to win. We had to pull out all of the stops and I campaigned so hard against Sean and for JD and I knew JD was not the best state representative candidate. I knew he would be a horrible state representative. I knew he would be a smidge better than Sean Byram, but he was still scraping the bottom of the barrel. He was a first-time candidate who didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground, politically speaking. Matter of fact, one time when we were talking, he was like, yeah, when I win, I'm going to sit quietly my first year and not do anything and not put any bills forward. I'm just going to learn. And I'm like, what? You've only got two years. You might be out in two years. If you spend the first year not doing anything, like... That's a waste, man. So it, he just had no political understanding or know-how or no political savvy about him. His father was a commissioner in Randolph County and is a farmer and has done well for himself. And because of that, that means JD's father has done well for him. And he is someone who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and who knows where else. And it's, it's because of who his father is and it's because of who that money can attract that JD is where he's at and because of help by uh, others like myself and and many other people who stuck their neck out for JD in 2018 who said okay you know you ran on this you said that you were a Christian constitutional conservative Republican, then we expect you to act like it. Nobody wanted him to go in there and just do a bunch of special favors and act like somebody that he wasn't. It wasn't like he was running as a Democrat and we're like, okay, because we helped you, you got to act like a conservative. He said that he was a conservative Republican, he was a Christian farmer, that he had these values, A, B, C, and D, and they fit the values of so many of us folks out here that were helping him, and we're like, all right, cool. So then when it came time for him to act like a conservative Republican, he just fell flat and he lied. He lied to so many people, not just myself, but some other major people, major people who are in the game right now today, major people who are in charge of some pretty big uh, political action committees and, and other things that is going to hurt JD now because I, you know, those lies only get you by for so long, and then people start to talk, and everybody starts putting the scorecard together, and they're like, wait a minute, over here, 2 and 2 equals 4, but JD's scorecard says 2 and 2 equals 5, and that does not jive with us. 
And that's what's going to be JD's downfall. And then, and then, we luck out and get such an amazing candidate as yourself. And it's like, okay, well, hands down. You know, uh, in 2018, we had two horrible candidates. We had Sean Byram and J.D. Prescott, and one was just a hair better than the other, so we went with J.D. We voted for J.D., and J.D. won because he was not Sean Byram. You're going to win because you're the best damn candidate for the job. And I want to be clear for a second. I live in District 35. I'm very passionate about my own district, and everybody knows how it is. If you've been listening for any time at all, you know that I follow politics everywhere. I follow what goes on at the national level everywhere. I follow what goes on at the state level everywhere in Indiana and all the other states, really, honestly, when I can. And then I definitely follow what goes on locally. And when I say locally, I mean in my local area, but then in a lot of other local areas. But as far as the state government goes, I pay attention to what goes on in all 100 districts when I most possibly can. I try to stay as up to date on all of that with as far as the state house goes and all 50 districts in the state senate. Okay, but there are specific areas where you feel very passionate about. If you've lived someplace or you have a draw to another area, you know how that goes. And although I am very passionate about my home district of 35, I am specifically passionate about 33. Yes, I'm passionate about 34 as well. But I'm specifically passionate about 33 because first, I lived there in District 33 for nine and a half or ten years. So I have voted in that district in the past, and I care about it. But I also feel like it's kind of my fault that he is in office, or at least partially my fault, because I worked so stinking hard to get him in there in 2019, along with several others, but I used my platform and any amount of voice that I had to help him beat Sean, so I feel partially responsible for that. But I'm also just like one mile west of District 33, and I'm like one mile... uh, north of District 34, so I'm like right on the edge of 34 and 33, and just barely into 35, but I'm passionate about all of those areas, but I'm specifically passionate about getting Miss Brittany Clower into the District 33 seat because, like I said, I kind of feel responsible for JD being where he's at. Brittany, before we move off of this dead bill, 1134, I want to ask you this real horrible question. We've kind of been talking a little bit about it, but God forbid, say that J.D. would happen to be reelected to this district. Do you feel like he would go back to the state house and push this bill in the next session? I mean, you feel the same way that I feel, like this is not done. If J.D. and others are reelected and put back into the state house, 
this bill will come up again. That's why it's important, in my opinion, that at least in 33, we have you. So if others bring it up, you can help fight against it. But do you feel the same way that I feel that if J.D. is back at the state house, that he's going to continue pushing, fighting, and championing this bill? He has said multiple times that he is going to continue working on this bill and championing it. Um, so he said that at the Women's Day breakfast. He also said that at his town hall that he needs to work on it. Um, I just I just hope that he will listen to the conservative teachers. There are many teachers in our district that are registered Republicans. Um, they they are not one issue voters. And um, I, I just hope he'll listen to them because, I mean, all the teachers that I know want parents involved. Sure. We want them involved because we know students are more likely to succeed when their parents are involved and active in their 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 child's education. And, and there's several of these elementary teachers that have even apps on their phones that send to the parents apps where they can communicate back and forth. This is what we did today. These teachers want these parents involved in their education. And as a high school teacher, I was always calling home. If a, if a student was failing on Friday, I would, I would call home and let parents know that if their, if their student caught up that work on Monday, I would not take any points off. And then I would gladly take it for full credit because I want them and all these other teachers just want the students to learn the material, to learn the skills, because we want them to be successful moving forward to the next grade. Because, I mean, all of our social security depends on every single one right. of these students to yes. go and get a job and pay into social security and help us retire. <laughs> so if they're not earning money, then uh, we're going to yes. not be able to have that social security. That's a scary thought. Uh, Brittany, let me ask you, at the, the town hall meeting, his only town hall meeting, the one that we've been discussing, there was a teacher that said, J.D., you should come shadow me for a day. And all of the teachers there kind of murmured and spoke up and said, yeah, that would be a good idea. And she went on to say, you know, if, if you did that, you would see just how hard my day is and what I do during the classroom. And then the day ends and I'm still at school doing work and preparing for tomorrow. And then you could go with me to the fast food restaurant where I would meet with my family and where we eat dinner because I don't have time to go home and cook dinner like I used to. And then after we get done eating at the fast food restaurant, then I either go back to school and do some more work or if I go home I still have hours worth of grading and prep for the next day it's just like there's never enough hours in the day and it was like he just completely was out of touch and didn't get anything that she was saying so I want to ask you the same thing because you're an educator so if you were in a position where J.D. or any other state representative could come shadow you for a day, if you were, well, depending on how you look at it, if you were lucky or unlucky enough for that to happen, 
What would they see? What would that be like? Well, it's definitely a lifestyle. Education is a lifestyle. So you you really understand that when you start dating someone who's a teacher, if your mother was a teacher, your sister or one of your children, you'll see the amount of hours that teachers just pour into their classroom. Um, they are there in the summertime. They are there on the weekends. They are there early in the morning um, because they they want to be. They are passionate about this, and and I always say that that teaching is a calling. It is not. It is not a job. It's not really a career. It takes a special heart and a special soul that is willing to pour their energy in to your child's education to make them enjoy to to encourage them to love education. Um, so if he if he observed me for one day, he would see pretty much the the pure chaos uh, that goes on behind the scenes. And and I, I say sometimes we are we are a party planner uh, where you don't really see the chaos behind the scenes because by the time it's ready for the party, the event, everything runs smoothly because we, we do put that time and energy into planning. Um, so the the one thing uh, one of the teachers said is is when am I supposed to do this? What time am I supposed to do this? And and he said on your planning period, she's like I get forty three minutes a day, one hundred eighty three days a year, or one hundred eighty days a year. The extra threes for professional development. Um, but I don't think he he truly understands what goes into that. So. Um, I have had up to 150 students in a year, and we'll say as a high school teacher, I have on average of 24 students in a classroom. I wish I had an average of 24 students in a classroom, but there's times I had upwards of 33 students at sure. one time. Um, so if we have six class periods, that's 144 students that we have, and um, we're looking at five minutes, just five minutes to grade a single assignment. And times that out, that's 720 minutes. Divide that out, that's 12 hours of grading just for one assignment to give meaningful feedback. Um, so it is just very difficult to grade 12 hours worth of work in a 40-minute prep as well as prepping. I, I ran a, a science class, so agriculture science. We did mostly labs. Um, so we did we did lecture, we did worksheets and then we did the labs that go along with it and I, I couldn't imagine constantly having to have other filler in there that wasn't labs um, because at least the students by the time they get into high school are independent enough to grab their lab supplies complete the lab put it back uh, after they get their data but still again it takes me a while to grade those to make sure they are understanding the concepts and it it's it's just a lot so when when she asks when am I supposed to do this I can't I can't give her a good answer of when when she should do that because we're we're desperate for teachers. Um, they are fleeing from education. We used to get four or five people that would apply for one single job. Now you're lucky if you have one person apply. And 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 we're a border we're a border district. So we are right over um, near Ohio. So teachers can easily jump on over there and make make significantly more money and have have less restrictions. So that's why I think it's so important that we keep a lot of these decisions at the local level. Because right now, there is already 1,299 pages of Indiana code for education only. Mm. Title 20 education, almost 1,300 pages of code. And it's like, how is any 
anybody supposed to keep up with this? Um, so that's why, I mean, we elect the school board members, um, except for Muncie. Sorry. We're going to, we're going <laughs> to look into that Muncie, uh, right. if I get into, yes. if I get into office so we can get your school board back. Right. But, uh, that's a, that's a subject for a different day. Um, but, but the time is one of those things that, um, you know, I, I was grading until midnight some nights just to make sure, sure they got feedback in time. Uh, for their test. Absolutely. I, I can see why that would matter. And I can understand why you don't think about that unless you're witnessing it and seeing it in real life. And JD was just so out of touch. He, it was just like he wasn't understanding what these people were saying. And it comes down to the fact that his mind was made up. He wasn't there to listen. He didn't care what these people had to say. They could have said, JD, your head's on fire, and he wouldn't have moved or done anything because it didn't matter what words they were saying. He wanted them to talk so they could say, hey, we talked, and then after they stopped talking, then he said the words that he wanted to say, and those are the only things that mattered. So then he could then get out of there and say, look, I did it. That was it. That was that. But it didn't matter to him what you or anyone there or I or anyone else had to say. It was just very apparent. The other thing that was strange was watching the people who were sitting there saying, JD, we're in a world of hurt right now. We're not even being able to tread water. Like we are sinking fast. There are so many openings right now for teacher and we're not being able to fill them and people continue to retire and continue to say, enough of this, I'm out. And specifically where we are in the state, we're so close to the line. So many people, like like you've said, and, and the teachers there at the town hall said, people can just say, to hell with this, I'm going to Ohio. And they do that, and it causes us a lot more turmoil and a lot of a lot of problems and they were sincerely telling him this and he was just sitting there with such a blank look on his face like he didn't understand like these teachers were speaking japanese to him or something and then all of a sudden he would say i don't think that's going to happen i don't think this is going to be an issue and if it is we'll see and if people are mad well then they won't vote for me but i've already been reelected before and i think i'll be reelected again <laughs> Well, so we'll just see if it happens, but I don't think it's going to. And that just all goes to show how out of touch he is because people are definitely mad and definitely upset. And hell, I know the bill died, but it doesn't matter that it died because he is so adamant that he is going to continue supporting it next time and next time and next time and next time, however long it takes until he actually gets it passed. It's just complete insanity, honestly. I mean, it's, it's the definition of insanity. Continue doing the same thing, hoping for a different result. Uh, but yet, in this case, he just truly doesn't understand or doesn't care that people don't want this. And he can sit there and look at these people in the face and be like, well, it's okay, I'm going to be reelected and, you know, we'll, we'll do this next time. And it just, it's because 
he has been taught that it doesn't matter what his constituents want. It doesn't matter that he's doing this for someone else, not even in District 33, because the people are just going to sheepishly go and vote for him again, and that's what we have to make sure doesn't happen. I can't disagree with that. I hope... I hope in the future, um, if it's not me, that he'll at least break it down into multiple bills. He he didn't even max out on the amount of bills he could author, and he could easily broken it down into multiple bills to to put through a clean CRT bill, to to put through some of these other pieces that are important um, that that do make sense. But but most of them just just don't, and a lot of them have been handled at the local level or or even in law now. I mean, as a, as a teacher in the classroom for 12 years, I only had one parent request my, my lesson. And he's like, how did this even, how does this work with your standards? I sent him the lesson. I sent him the standards. And I'll tell you what, the kid had the assignment on my desk at 8 a.m. on that Monday because the parents like, makes sense, checks out. And I had no issues turning that over to the, uh, to the, to the parents. And I, I would never have an issue with that because I want them to understand as well as the student why it's important and what's important for them to to learn this material and and I encourage every one of my students to go home and share with their parents what they were doing in class to take home their lab projects uh, not just throw them away it's like no take this home and show your parents what you have been learning the skills that that hopefully will will help you get your your job and I don't know I think I think there's a lot of transparency already there you just have to ask Oh no 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 JD would rather not have the parents do the parents jobs and interact with the children and the children's school he would much rather as the most bizarre action of a constitutional conservative that I've ever heard of, he would much rather want to have more government overreach into the schools and into the parents' and children's lives and create more and bigger government, which, like I said, generally is not something that a constitutional conservative would like to do. But, hey, J.D.'s playing by his own rules. All right, we need to take a quick break because it's been a bit since we have had one and I still need to get one in. So why don't we take a quick break, come right back. I know I still have a good amount of questions to ask and I know that you have some information that you want to get out and I feel like we still have information that we need to provide to you good people, the listeners. I know this has been a long episode, but it is an important episode. It is an important topic. She is an important candidate for this very, very important election, specifically in District 33 in the state of Indiana. So don't go anywhere. If you do have to dip out, definitely bookmark this episode because you will want to come back to it. Like I said, we still have a good amount of information to get through. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. This is a very special bonus episode of Perception is Reality. She's Brittany bridges Clower, the Republican candidate for District 33 state representative. We'll be right back. Hello, folks. 
folks. Let me tell you about my friends at Reliable Plumbing Services, Mr. Mark Bolin and Miss Sherry Sheline. After 28 years experience, they can handle all of your plumbing needs. Whether you're talking about new water lines, general plumbing services, toilet install and repair, sewer drain services, sewer locating, sewer installation, and much, much more. They offer senior citizen discounts, military discounts, and if you tell them that you heard this advert on Perception is Reality, they will give you a hell of a deal. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are in the market for reliable plumbing services, then you must call Mark and Sherry at Reliable Plumbing Services. The home office number is 765-252-3665. That is 765-252-3665. Call today. Perception. Perception. Perception is... Reality. Reality. Well, hello there, folks, and welcome back to this special episode of Perception is Reality. I am your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. We are joined on the phone by Republican candidate for state representative of District 33, Brittany Clower. Brittany, it's great to have you, and I want to get right into it. Before the break, we talked about a lot of different things as it pertains to the District 33 state representative seat. We talked about your opponent, which is the current incumbent state representative, J.D. Prescott. We talked about things that he was doing, not doing, and various other aspects of his time in office. We talked about your thoughts on various aspects and what would happen if you were in office and there were a couple different themes that would crop up, and uh, that one of those themes was education, and a couple of other really important themes appeared to be communication and improving communication, transparency and improving transparency, and accountability and improving accountability. And now you know, as well as all of the listeners know, those words, communication, transparency, and accountability, are all words that I live by. They're all major buzzwords for me. They're all very, very important to me. And I know that they are to you and your husband. Now, I want to say right now to the listeners, I recorded an episode back sometime in October or November I I can't really remember the title of it. It might be like a a win for the citizens or a citizen wins, something like that. But it's episode 168, and I'm going to copy and paste a link in the description of this episode. So if you want to go back and listen to it, if you haven't heard it or you want to re-listen to it, you can click the link or copy the link in the description of this show and you can go to that and listen to it. So we won't go too far in depth because we have that full episode that you can listen to, but... That episode only surrounded Brandon and his involvement, and I want to get Brittany's thoughts on this matter since we have her. So, to kind of set the scene, you and your husband have always been active and involved with politics, even before your first run in 2020. Then you ran for state representative in 2020, 
and you lost, unfortunately, in 2020. But instead of going home and tucking your tail and hiding, you decided to stay involved. And your husband said, hey, let's stay involved. And you guys were doing what good citizens do. And J.D. voted on a bill in a very strange way. In 2021, Representative Prescott voted no to House Bill, I believe it was 280. And House Bill 280 was tax breaks for Hoosier veterans. So... If this bill would have become law, it would have meant tax breaks for veterans that live in Indiana, and that sounds like a good thing. I can't imagine anybody in their right mind wouldn't want that. Who wouldn't want that? Okay, so it sounds wonderful, and I think we pretty much all agree that that is a fantastic thing. But for some reason... J.D. Prescott voted no. Now, thank God, I think he might have been the only person to vote no, so it wasn't like his vote mattered. Everybody else that was involved voted yes, but it's still a fact that J.D. did vote no. And I think that that made a lot of people mad, and a lot of people had questions Yo, J.D., what on earth would be going through your mind that would make you vote no for this? You don't want tax breaks for Hoosiers that are veterans? That doesn't make any sense. One of those citizens that had questions about this was your husband, Brandon Clower. And Brandon had been having some back and forth with J.D., nothing rude, nothing out of line, nothing that was more than polite questions, civil discourse, honestly. I mean, it was, it was polite. Your, your husband is one of the most polite people that I know besides you. You're like the most polite person, and he's like the second most polite person. So there was nothing out of line about his questions in any way. But J.D. Prescott, as representative, just wasn't answering them or was deleting his questions on social media and then eventually just blocked your husband, Brandon, on social media, which is a no-no. So from that point, you guys decided to file a First Amendment lawsuit against J.D. Prescott. It's a federal lawsuit, and you guys went through an attorney called Gavin Rose, who works for the ACLU, and now listeners who listened to episode 168 will know the story from Brandon's point of view. And like I said, anybody that didn't listen to it, or if you want to go back and re-listen to it, the link will be pasted in the description of this episode so you can easily find it for that 168th episode. But right now, I would like for you to give us your thoughts on this matter, if you would. Yeah, that was an interesting time, that's for sure. I never thought I would uh, 
be involved in a federal lawsuit against a sitting representative just to have questions answered. So did you guys actually get answers to the question about House Bill 280? Did, did he ever explain why he didn't want to vote for tax breaks for Hoosier veterans? It took a very long time for us to actually get that answer. And at a private town hall meeting that he held over the summer that was held on private property, he said he didn't want to create a special class of citizens. I can't even with that. My heart sank when I heard that because every one of our veterans that has served our country is a special class of citizen. <laughs> so if they will go and fight for our freedoms, fight for our constitutional rights, yes, absolutely. They are a special class of citizens. And uh, with 22 veterans killing themselves a day, like we need to do more to support these veterans, not just say happy Veterans Day. Like we actually need to propose legislation uh, that will keep these disabled veterans in their homes and a part of this community. Hell yes, abso-freaking-lutely, without any hesitation, no question, abso-freaking-freaking-freaking-lutely. I mean, I have to ask, was JD dropped on his head as a youth? Did someone pick him up and drop him on his head right before the vote? Or, if not before the vote, if before he gave that completely crazy, asshole, asinine, freaking ignorant answer, that response to the question that you and your husband was trying to ask, like, even if that's the reason why he didn't vote, the fact that he would actually tell people that is insane. I just don't even understand. I do not understand and i don't care i i, uh, I mean uh, I, uh, I <laughs> uh, he has got to be the most absolutely insane non-political motherfucker i have ever heard of in my entire life <laughs> okay okay all right we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here so basically what happened was brandon your husband had asked questions of jd about this and other issues on social media and JD had blocked him on social media, which he is not allowed to do. And your husband had tried writing to other representatives, had tried writing out to state senators. He had tried writing letters to the editor and nothing really worked until he reached out to an attorney from the ACLU, and through the ACLU, you guys filed a First Amendment federal civil rights lawsuit against JD for basically violating your First Amendment rights in blocking your husband and not uh, interacting. Basically, JD had to either allow your husband and everybody else, or he had to get rid of his uh, social media account in the way that he was using it. So essentially, you guys settled, but I consider it a win because JD was told that he either had to allow Brandon access to the page and he could not block Brandon or anyone or the other option JD had was 
he had to shut the social media page down altogether. Now, you would think that JD or any normal human being with common sense that was an elected official would say, oh, okay, well, I'll just allow him to access the social media and that way I can keep him and everyone else informed that are concerned and that care, uh, people from the district and elsewhere. But JD said, no, that's fine. I'll just delete it. I don't need it. <laughs> so he deleted that social media, uh, which just, again, shows what kind of uh, person JD is. So the question here is, when you're elected to the District 33 state representative seat, will you have various social media pages that you will utilize to keep the public informed and will you pledge to allow everyone access and you won't block individuals and you won't shut people down and you will allow people to engage with you and you will engage with individuals through social media. Is that something that you will do? Or do you plan to not have social media like JD is doing so folks cannot get a hold of you? How, how do you plan to operate? I, I know, but I just want the folks that are listening to uh, hear, hear what you have to say about it. Absolutely. I think that is very important. Um, that way it can be publicly stated and other people can view it and see where you stand. So my husband was never disrespectful or rude in any of his posts. I've been an educator here in this community for 14 years. So he knows that I have thousands of former students and current students that are watching how we reacted to this election. And um, when we were discussing it, we had uh, written to JD's office and communicated with him that he needs to unblock. We shared um, different articles where legislators were getting in trouble for this, like AOC and Trump, and it was found that they could not block their constituents. Uh, we wrote a whole bunch of other letters to the editor, and um, he contacted um, different different legislators at the state and federal level to try to get them unblocked. And still, JD just refused to unblock them to let them engage in um, these important decisions that are going to impact our community. And uh, then we decided to look into. Uh, the ACLU, they contacted us and wanted to to go further with the case. Um, it, it took a while for us to to take that step. My husband and I sat down and had a lot of discussions about it. And uh, one of the questions was, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? It's going to it's going to ruin your political career. Um, and I said, it's it's for our community. I'm sure there's other people that are being blocked, that their voices are being withheld. So we need to go ahead and pursue this. Um, I was actually surprised uh, that we did not get much negative feedback from it, that people were um, thankful for it. We did have some people reach out and say, hey, I was blocked too. Um, thank you for doing that. And then we've also seen that there has been some other legislators in the state that are making posts saying that they have an open forum on their Facebook page. And then I read the comments and people are saying, thank you for unblocking me. <laughs> so um, it just kind of solidifies that um, he moved in the right direction to make sure that everybody's voice is being heard. And 
this this case is actually being heard around the the country on how they're going to proceed with the First Amendment and social media. Absolutely, it's it's something that's very important. It's definitely something that I paid attention to. Uh, obviously, doing what I do, the First Amendment is very important to me. Uh, reaching out and speaking to elected officials, whether they are at the federal level, the state level, or the local level, is something that I do. Uh, you know, many, many times a week, I, I request information and I have back and forth through telephone calls and text messages and emails and social media. And it's it's uh, something that is is very important. And it sounds crazy to say this because we've all been dealing now with social media and the internet for, for quite some time. It's not it's not a new uh, invention. However, if you think about it in the eyes of the law and within politics and governance, really, uh, it's it's still really in its infancy because, you know, it's it's only been, you know, 2011, 2012, when a lot of local governments, maybe state governments, started accessing Facebook pages and setting up their Twitter accounts or whatnot. So that's only been in the last so many years. Um, and uh, an, another agency that I deal with quite frequently, the public access counselor for the state of Indiana, Luke Britt, his office has said that if you ask them about emails or you have written communication with elected officials, we can give you opinions and case law for days. However, there's not been a whole lot of information when it comes to social media and how elected officials must act. They have an opinion. They inform elected officials when the public access counselor's office gets involved, hey, we think that you should behave in this manner, but there's not been the hardline court decisions. So anytime someone pushes the envelope and does what you guys did, it helps people like myself and, and citizens out there because you guys are kind of making way, you're kind of cutting up a path through a jungle that has not been explored yet. So I, I was very happy that that happened, and I do agree that this is something that is important, and hopefully it can help others out there that are that are facing this very same thing. Okay, good. So moving on, you've talked about spending being an issue, and that you're concerned about a lot of wasteful spending that you think that the Indian General Assembly is doing, and you've got ideas about how you would like to pull back on some of that spending. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you have in mind there? Yeah, so one of the things that I have seen that is a major waste of spending is each year we spend, the taxpayers, spend $7 million a year on quarterly flyers to mail out to all of the constituents around the state. Uh, so this is the surveys that come through. This is the updates on the legislation. 
And um, what it really comes down to is these are tax paid campaign flyers. And half the time, the ones that the current representative for District 33 sends out, he is boasting about things that he had absolutely nothing to do with besides clicking a little button yes or no to vote for. Sometimes he even brags about serving our, our veterans. And then, you know, I, I see that and think back to that, that Senate Bill 280 and how he was voting against our disabled veterans in our state. So a little disappointing there. So $7 million. I know um, I had big vision sometimes with my projects at school and $7 million could do a, a lot for a bunch of different organizations in our state besides just helping increase the amount of recycling we spend as we just drop those into the trash bin. That's absolutely maddening to think about that. That's just $7 million uh, a year. You know, I'm sure that that increases as as the cost of things increase. I, that's just like little things at home. You know, there's there's that commercial or something that I've seen on, on maybe Facebook ads every now and then where it says like, you know, you don't realize how much double spending you're paying on like streaming services and whatnot. And, and if you if you go back through your home budget, you could probably really cut some things out and really help yourself uh, in saving money. That's just something that it seems like it's such a throwaway that they, they don't really think about it. And it's just something we've always done. And that's what we're going to do. But literally, if, if somebody was really concerned about being, you know, fiscally responsible and, and fiscally conservative, and they they went through and, and did away with that, like you said, there are a lot of services that could benefit greatly from from that seven million dollars. That's just I mean, it really makes you sick to think about that. It's that's that's crazy to me. Yep, and there's there's definitely other ones um, like uh, career engagement for students. They budgeted forty million dollars in a two-year budget for a website. Forty million dollars. It's like you're not going to get kids excited about careers through a website. Um, <laughs> I do understand the point and trying to get that information out there, but whew, that is that is a big chunk of change when um, we could possibly get career coaches or something else in our school for that that amount of funding to really reach those students. It's 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 like somewhere deep, deep, deep inside there, there's like a kind of a speck or a nugget of a good idea or a thought that kind of maybe makes sense, but then it gets so convoluted and it gets the spin on it and all of the big government and big business and all of the Packs that get involved, and all of the donors, and and all of the um, power-hungry, uh, narcissistic uh, elected officials that are only concerned about power and themselves, they all get attached to it, and it just completely deforms the good idea, and it makes it into being something that nobody recognizes and it's it's just a disaster but it's like sometimes you can you can see where they were maybe trying to go like you know uh, maybe there was a good intention here but then again you know what they say about good intentions so i guess <laughs> it just is what it, it is what it is um you know another thing i wanted to talk to you about here before before I let you go, is every year I 
start to watch the Indiana General Assembly. And, you know, I'm a political junkie. I love this stuff. And I'm in it hot and heavy. And it just gets so overwhelming watching the State House because they've got so many damn bills. So many damn bills. And and so many of them are like connected and they're all very similar and they're they're so dumb. It's like what what is going on there? What you know, I'm just trying to figure out a way to help the audience go about trying to monitor what goes on at the state house when you have somebody who's new to politics and they're new to being involved and and all of this it can be very overwhelming even at the local level but then when you throw the local level the state level and the federal level in it's just like too much but even just the state house if you have someone who says, okay, I want to know what my my state rep and my state senator is doing, what the person or people from my district, uh, what what they're up to. It's, it's really hard and convoluted because of all of the craziness that goes on and all of the amount of work that they pump into each session which seems like overkill because it, it really can be like drinking water from a fire hose. And it's difficult, even for the people who are really in tune with what's going on, it can be overwhelming and just too much sometimes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So each year there could be up to 2000 new bills proposed. Like we're an established state. Why are we proposing so much legislation at this point? Yeah. Um, There should only be a few bills each year to kind of clean up language, maybe address the issues that are at hand. Uh, But some of these, these bills are just repetitive and then they get lost in the mix and then they get uh, dropped into one of the other ones. But one thing I have noticed as serving as a legislative advocate for the last seven years is they recycle bills a lot. So if something doesn't get passed in um, the session in the year before, they'll just propose it again and say, all right, let's try this again. So one of the bills that J.D. proposed in 2019 was House Bill 1327, and that was a new tax registration for all ATVs. So this bill definitely disproportionately impacted our rural communities. And I don't know if he's looked at the map or not, but if you look at District 33, it is very rural. So I have a ton of students that use ATVs uh, for farming to get from their barns um, so they can quickly access this. And he is wanting to, he wanted to propose that new tax. And the, the thing about this one in 2019, we had a surplus of two, $167 million in our budget. Why? I just don't understand. And so obviously that bill didn't go anywhere. I'm super glad for that. But this is something I do not want to see recycled that will pop up on the docket again. And the interesting thing about this bill is it was so poorly written that it was assigned to the Roads and Transportation Committee, they looked at it and said, this doesn't go here. It needs to go to the Natural Resource Committee. And then the Natural Resource Committee 
um, shipped it back over to the Roads and Transportation Committee because these ATV taxes registration was to go help pay for highway roads and street funds um, where the ATVs aren't even allowed to use. So I was so confused <laughs> on on why. I mean, if, if it was to help go, like for hunting licenses, you pay for a hunting license and then that money goes back into our natural resources. It helps preserve the area, uh, the woodlands in our state. Um, so it serves a purpose. Uh, if you're going to use that, you're you're going to enjoy it. So um, that's a way to to help support those funds. So some of these pieces of legislation that he puts forward kind of baffles me, and it really does make me ask the question, why? What is the motive? Why are you doing this? And then sometimes, um, just out of curiosity, I go back and start looking at who has donated to his campaign. Oh yeah, a lot of those wise have turned into aha it's the old adage always always follow the money and it's very interesting and i know it's cliche but it's cliche because it's always said and it's always been true and it will always be true that if you look and dig and follow the money you will always figure out what's going on, why it's going on, and who is at the end of the rope making it go on and for how much. So, uh, yeah, that's always interesting to to know and to look at and to to figure out, like, ah, this is why that's happening. That's, that's very true. Um, there's something that I've heard you say at a couple different candidate events that you and I have not talked about a whole lot, but I like your idea, and it's kind of along the lines of making the citizens more responsible for their own lives and destiny, kind of, and, and making them very much a part of the government, because I'm very much a person that believes in the old adage that the voting citizen is the most important role or position in the United States government, so the fact that the citizen is in charge is is something that I strongly believe in. And, and the, the, the point or the issue that, that I'm talking about is your idea of taking a lot of things back to the ballot and instead of having the elected officials at the state house fighting over things and voting and being controlled and uh, maneuvered around by lobbyists and you know special interest groups and donors – you would like to send things to the ballot to allow the citizens to vote on big issues or, or any various issues that that would meet you know a standard to, to do that on. So uh, could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I really agree with the voice needs to be in the people's hands. Um, so one of those ways that I would do that is pushing big decisions to the ballot. So so many other states use the ballot to ask um, big questions such as abortion or heartbeat bills, uh, marijuana, should we have it? Should it be for medical purposes? Should it be for free uses? Um, and constitutional carry. So these are all um, the main 
campaign promises that our legislators make year after year and no action is being taken on these. So if we send these to the ballot, you show up in November, you see a question that's asking, do you support a heartbeat bill to ban abortions after a certain time? Then we would have solid data, solid evidence on what the community members want, the constituents across the state. I know each year that our representatives, senators, our congressional uh, representatives and senators, they all send out surveys that we get and we're able to answer six questions. And these questions are so open-ended and it's supposed to help them drive their decisions, but they write them in such a way that they can skew it however they want. Just like one of the questions that uh, our current representative asked, and that was on the survey, do you believe our K through 12 education system is ad adequately prepares our students for the workforce job training and or college. Um, so this question kind of puzzled me because if you say yes, then great, they don't need money. If you say no, then great, they don't need money. We need to be sending that money somewhere else into different training facilities. And as a career and technical education director, I was disappointed that he did not reach out to me um, about this question or um, ask any of my colleagues. So there is only 50 CTE directors throughout the state. So we're, we're very few, we're limited. We oversee several schools. Uh, that way we can be more fiscally responsible. And this is an area that I am an expert in. So when um, our current representative got elected in, I actually reached out to him and said, hey, I serve as an education advocate, educational advocate, and I would like to be a, a sounding board for you. And he never responded back. I sent uh -huh. emails, sent data. Um, oddly enough, he only sent an email back after my name showed up on the ballot next to his. So as soon as I um, declared candidacy, boy, did he care what I had to say after that. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm interested in what the response to your question was you said that you didn't get it for for so long and then when when your name appeared on the ballot then you got a response do you care to share what that response was he didn't respond to my questions that i had he responded <laughs> to me requesting for the survey data okay so um the survey data is supposed to be public record he doesn't want to post it um until somebody asks for it it took quite a bit of asking this last time uh, I see on his website, he did finally get that posted because he is going to the state house and he is actually testifying for some of these bills stating that um, his constituents have strongly supported this out of his survey. Um, it doesn't say how many people actually filled out this survey. So if there is seven people that filled out this survey, those percentages are kind of skewed, um, but they don't have that kind of data on there. So if if you do get that survey in the mail, I encourage all of you to fill that out. It has already gone for this last legislative session, um, but that usually comes in in uh, November, December time. That way they can try to plan for the next session and hopefully he can actually ask some questions that maybe impact our community a little bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very good, Brittany. Uh, I want to thank you. We have covered a lot of ground today. I think this might be one of my most in-depth interviews 
I think that I've ever done. Definitely the most information packed in the amount of time that we've done it. And I want to thank you very much. And it's a testament, in my opinion, to my trust in you as a candidate and my endorsement of you uh, and my belief that people will be interested in hearing what you've got to say and my, my hope that the people that might, for some whatever reason, they could be on the fence, they can hear this and say, okay, uh, this is my candidate because you, you are the best candidate for this job and I, I certainly want to do anything and everything that I can to help get you there and to help uh, your, your dream of being able to serve the community uh, this way come true. And I'm telling you, it, it will absolutely be uh, a, better, a better situation for everyone involved. Uh, definitely better than what we currently have going on. Um, I want to thank you for your answers. I want to thank you for your friendship. And I want to ask, is there anything else that you would like to say to the listeners before we roll out? Anything that we didn't cover or anything that people need to know? I just want to make sure we bring a voice back to our community members. These are my friends. They are my families. They're my colleagues. Um, they are my community service organization friends. Uh, we are all here to want to serve this community, and um, I, I appreciate your support and your vote. Absolutely. Where can folks find you? I am very active on Facebook. So you can find me, Brittany Clower, K-L-O-E-R. I am actually the only Brittany Clower in the country. Um, so if you Google that, it should be really easy to find me. And um, I also have a website, BrittanyClower.com, where you can keep up to date on the campaign. There is also an area where you can volunteer or donate. Um, if you are interested in helping with the campaign, we're always looking for people that are willing to walk houses, uh, share the message, um, maybe call family and friends that live in the district. Uh, today it's a negative two degrees or something like that. So we're probably not going to walk doors today. Uh, but making sure that we get that message out there. Absolutely. Getting the message out is what it's all about, and I would like to think that we have done that in this episode. I think that we've packed a lot in, and I can't wait for the audience to be able to hear this and for folks to be able to start contacting me, letting me know what they thought about this interview, thought about you, and I can't wait for you to hopefully start getting communications from this episode as well. Brittany, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come on and talk with my audience and myself. I, I think that we've done a great job in letting them see and hear who you are as a person and as a candidate Ladies and gentlemen, she's the real deal. She is absolutely genuine. What you hear is what you get. Her and her husband, Brandon, are both absolutely wonderful people, and I am so happy and proud to call them both friends. I'm thankful for their friendship in return. I absolutely am happy to be a part of their campaign team, helping her to fulfill this uh, dream to, to fulfill this mission, to be a public servant in her home district. She'll be absolutely fantastic, in my opinion. She is the best and only candidate 
for this seat. And I, to me, I, I don't even consider it a race. It's just, it is what it is. Brittany, thank you very much. You're welcome back here anytime. If you just want to chat, you have anything that you need to get out to the audience, you can call me up if you want to come on, if you want to appear on the live at 935 live video episodes you're also welcome to do that uh you like i said are a friend of the show and you're welcome back here anytime thank you for talking with me in this episode i appreciate all of your support all right ladies and gentlemen that's going to do it for us that was Brittany bridges clower she is the republican candidate running for state representative of the District 33 in Indiana. She's running to be a state representative as a part of the Indiana General Assembly. Again, she has my full support, my full endorsement. And if you vote in District 33 in Indiana, I would highly recommend you give her your attention. You look her up. If you still have questions, get a hold of me, get a hold of Brittany, get a hold of producers Kate Niles or her husband Brandon. Get a hold of somebody and get your questions answered. I don't really know how you could have any more questions after this, but I'm sure they are out there. And if you do, she's not afraid to talk. She will answer your questions. Hit her up on social media. Send her an email. You can find all of her contact information in the description of this episode along with all of the links that I told you guys I would put there. So look there for any of the information that you need. As far as the show, share it with everyone you know. Help get this word out. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been fantastic. I know this has been a long episode. I try not to do this unless it's absolutely necessary and this episode was necessary. So Thank you guys. You guys are fantastic. Take care. God bless. And as always, stay safe, stay tuned, and stay true. I'll talk to you all again real soon. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.